the distractions that we have all around us in the world in which we live are many and varied. Even for those who are seeking to live as close in communion to God as they can, find that the very necessities of the world in which we live come and invade uh, our time and distract us at times in those things that must be dealt with. Ordinary, everyday things come into our lives as well as other demanding uh, attractions and distractions. And in doing so, so often our time with God, our communion with God is uh, limited and disrupted more than we uh, feel it ought to be. One of the great benefits, of course, of the Lord's Day each week is that uh, we can take that day and set it aside and give particular thought to our spiritual well-being. That's what the Lord's Day is for. That we would remove our focus from all the distractions and look to God. And this evening as we prepare to come on this coming Lord's Day to the Lord's Supper, we are preparing to come to what we could say is an even extra special opportunity for us to draw into closer fellowship and communion with God. On the coming Lord's Day, as we come around the Lord's table to not simply the preaching of the Word, which is central, but to the outward symbols of what Christ did, we are, should be looking to commune closely with our God, that faith, that our souls will be encouraged. And if you and I are to make the best opportunity for drawing closer to God and for this to have an impact on our lives, it is good that we prepare for it and take steps even before Sabbath day to be ready to to try and benefit from the sacrament. And so this evening we turn our thoughts to Luke chapter 9 from verse 28 to verse 36. Uh, Here is the account of the transfiguration and what I plan, God willing, over the weekend is to do, starting this evening, is to to take some thoughts on the Jesus on various of the mountains, uh, mountaintops, uh, where he went and ministered or appeared. And here is a fascinating appearance of Jesus as he is transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, And he enters in and the focus is really this evening on the conversation. What happened on the mountain? Sometimes we forget, or maybe if we read Matthew and Mark, it's not maybe alluded to the same, but Luke tells us that Jesus was in conversation with Moses and with Elijah. And that's the very core of what's happening here. That, if you like, is the pinnacle, the focal point of this wonderful uh, transfiguration, as we call it, the glowing glory of God. And so it's that conversation that we're going to make the focus this evening on the Mount of Transfiguration. And first of all, as we think about the conversation, I want to note the prelude to that conversation. What was the prelude to the conversation? What led up to this event 
taking place. In what context did Jesus suddenly begin to to change and to appear in wonderful glory? Well, in this account, and indeed in the other accounts in Matthew and Mark, he comes to Peter, John, James, and he leads them up onto the mountain to pray. That's why he is there with his disciples that he might enter into communion with God and with his disciples. And we should note that. Here they are. They're taking a step aside from all the ordinary hustle bustle. They don't go into a town nor do they even stay in the valley where there are people uh, traveling here and there or in the town where the business is going on. He takes them up the hillside, away from the distractions, away from what might disturb their communion with the Father in heaven and with one another. And so essentially, he withdraws to a quiet place that their thoughts might not be disrupted. And it is in the context of that praying that then this mighty appearing of glory takes place. And we read in verse 29, as he, that is, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So here is Jesus Christ himself caught up in his praying with his Father. Such was the close conversation and bond with himself and his Father that he was drawn, if you like, into glory, or at least heaven came down to earth. And we're reading, remember, the disciples' account of this as Luke records it, that this is their eyewitness view. And for them, he began to glow and shine like lightning, almost unbearable to the human eye, the light that shone because of Jesus' communion with his Father. And he entered into that communion. He was still fully man. He was still a man. He was in his flesh on that mountain. He did not change out of his flesh, but his very humanity began to to shine as, if you like, the divinity, the the, the God-man glowed in him. The prelude to this great conversation that he is going to have with two other people was prayer. In other words, it was communion with God. What a lesson for you and for me if we are to enter into communion with God. Surely we need to begin with prayer. We need to prepare our hearts by entering into God in communion, in prayer, by seeking God the Father in our praying, by being used, indeed, for it to be something we are familiar with, to pray to God. And what better thing can you do or I do than take the Lord's Prayer as that example prayer and follow its ways because it leads us to worship God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed 
be your name. And we should think about as we come to pray, dwell upon our God. Not to jump too quickly to give us our daily bread, but to think about the Lord of glory and all that he means. To remember our own sins and faults and how wicked we are in comparison with God and to see therefore our need. And you see, if we enter into prayer as we ought, it will draw us into, uh, into the presence of the Lord. And so I would challenge you, if you're to make the best use of the sacrament, that over these days you should be giving yourself to time to pray and to think in your praying of glorifying God as well as confessing your sin and knowing that as you draw near to God, so he will draw near to you. Pray for the very lack of understanding of your heart to be removed. Pray that you will be aware where you have made mistakes and sinned and confess those things so that you will draw near to God. The purpose of this relationship is something that can only be helped. We know this in our human relationships. Fathers and children, or even mothers and children, or even spouses. If we don't communicate, we can't suddenly begin then to talk about the intimate details that need discussed and share our, the depths of our hearts. That doesn't work. If we're not talking to one another at a, a, an ordinary level or even a deeper level, we're certainly not going to suddenly begin out of the blue to talk about our inner feelings and the things that are in our hearts. That's true at a human level. I'm sure you've all experienced that, that sometimes relationships are difficult. Why? Because we have not communicated with the one we say we love. And surely the same is true with God. We need to be coming to Him and we need to be talking to God about all our needs and worshipping Him for all He is. And it is as we develop our communion with God that He will draw us closer to Him. And may it be that as Christ in His transfiguration began to glow with the glory that something of the glory of God may burn upon our hearts as we prepare to commune with him. So the prelude to the conversation is, is, if you like, a conversation already started, a conversation already begun. But then, secondly, I want you to note the participants in this conversation. The participants in this conversation well, we are told who they are and we have no trouble in identifying them. And interestingly, the, the disciples knew that hey, this was Moses and Elijah. Now, how they knew is a, is a question we know, don't know the answer to. But they knew that Moses and Elijah were there. Remember, they are seeing a, a, a vision before them, but give knowledge. This is Moses and Elijah, appearing in glorious splendor, talking with the Lord Jesus himself. So here are three in communion and fellowship and conversation together. 
Moses represents the, the Old Testament, the law of the Old Testament. And of course, Elijah is, is the representative of all the prophets. But here are two men who also were translated into glory. And we don't, uh, in a way that we, we wonder about. We're told that Moses died, but he was never buried. There's no account of his body ever being buried. He died. Elijah translated into heaven as the horses and chariots carried him. That's why we read that chapter. This great man of God, Moses. Men who had served the Lord. Moses bringing the law. And how important the law was. Elijah calling the people of God back again and again to the hope that was in the Messiah who was to come. And that's the, the work of all the prophets. To call people back to God. In fact, these two, Moses and Elijah, were two who pointed forward to the coming Messiah. In their day, they did not know how God would work the salvation that he had promised. But they were assured that God would bring about salvation. Moses, in giving the law, gave that word, knowing in his heart that it was impossible for any man to keep that law. And Israel and all of us have proved that ever since. There is no way we can reach God by the keeping of the law. It is an impossibility. We are sinners in heart, and we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners uh, uh, because we break the law. Rather, here is Moses, you see, showing the, the law, the brokenness, that there must be a better way. And his hope and his word always directed people to God's promise. There will be one who will come. He would have taken us back even to the garden as he compiled the first books of the Old Testament. And there in Eden, God had spoken the word of curse upon the serpent. And in those words gave the promise, you may strike his heel, but the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And Elijah, in a similar way, proclaiming the need for the people to look to the Messiah, the one who was promised. And he, representative of all the prophets, there will be one who would come. And it is these two who are in conversation with the one they looked forward to but did not know in their earthly life. But now being in heaven and in glory, they have known the second person of the Godhead. They've learnt about Jesus and they know what he has come to do. And they can see what lies ahead. And so if we've had the prelude to the conversation and these three participants in the conversation qualified to talk to Jesus, we want to ask thirdly or speak thirdly about the subject of the conversation. The subject of this conversation on the Mount of Transfiguration, what was it? What were they talking about? Well, Luke tells us in his account in verse 31, they spoke about his departure, 
which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. They spoke about his departure. They talked about what Jesus had come to do. They talked about the cross and all that lay ahead of him. You see, Jesus did not come to the cross. It was no as a surprise. It was not something that was forced upon him against his will. It was not something that appeared out of the blue as though evil man had suddenly got the upper hand. From all eternity, God had chosen his Son for, to be the Messiah. He had chosen Christ. That's why Moses and Elijah were looking forward to him. And that's why they can converse with him now about his great task, the, the salvation of the souls. His death on the cross. His departure. His, we could say, exodus from the world. And that exodus would bring salvation. In the same manner that the exodus of the people of Israel from Egypt had brought them salvation, albeit had brought them lots of trouble because of their sin, but it was their salvation and it was the making of a nation when God led them into the land of promise. So the departure of Jesus Christ that has been talked about is the exodus of Christ from the world by the way of the cross. His blood shed that you and I might have life. That we might with all the struggles of our Christian lives enter into eternal life in the promised land of glory. Jesus was an utter and complete control of all of these events. They were not something that sprung up unexpected in history. God's purpose and plan was being worked out in the way that Moses, in the way in which Elijah looked forward because they knew this was God's settled purpose. Remember the prophet Isaiah as he spoke in that great chapter 53. It pleased the Lord, God, to bruise him. God was in it. How marvelous. How absolutely amazing it is as a sinner for you to realize that God put to death his son and punished him for you. That was the conversation. That was the centerpiece of what they were talking about. As Jesus was transfigured and met with Moses and Elijah. Death wasn't going to come to him unexpectedly or suddenly. It was God settled purpose and plan for you and me. And friends, as we think about that, as we think about coming around the Lord's table, which speaks so eloquently of his death and his suffering, you and I, we do well to think about these things, to talk about these things, and to pray about these things. May your conversation and mine be about what Christ has done. May we remember all that he suffered and see how great it was that he died for us. What a wonderful Savior. 
Would you not love to have heard the actual conversation? Just as I often think it would be amazing to stand on the road with those two on the way to Emmaus and listen to Jesus as he opened up the scriptures, the law and the prophets, and explain to them all about himself. Would it not have been fascinating to be a fly on the wall on the Mount of Transfiguration and hear what Jesus and Moses and Elijah were saying about his departure? Been incredible. We don't have any more than this than they talked about his decease, his exodus, his departure. And that for the salvation of souls. Not just the salvation that we enjoy, but it was the very salvation of all who had gone before, of those whom Elijah had ministered to and those whom Moses had ministered to. Their hope was grounded and rooted in the coming Messiah. And as Moses and Elijah talked with Jesus, they knew it all depended and was all bound up in this one who was the God-man. All those souls they had spoken to, all who had harbored hope and faith in their days, were all bound up in Christ as Lord. I wonder that they speak to him of the many who had believed. Many hadn't. Many had rejected the prophets. But that they speak about the many who were waiting for the day of their freedom in the Messiah. So there is the conversation and its subject, the very death of Christ. May that be the center of many of our thoughts and talks. But then fourthly and lastly, we have the conclusion of this conversation. Conversation draws to a conclusion, but then Peter being Peter butts in. He is overwhelmed, and we can understand how he's overwhelmed. He has been sleepy, but he awakes and sees the glory. And he wants to be there, and the scripture is very helpful here because it tells us that Peter didn't know what he was saying. He, he just in his own way, rattled off something that he thought would be a good idea. It wasn't a good idea. He wanted to stay there, build tabernacles, let's remain near glory. No, Christ had come to leave the world, to depart at the cross. He had to go down from the mountain of transfiguration back to the hubbub of the world and he had to suffer the, the death It was coming his way on another mount. God brings the whole scene, however, to a conclusion by enveloping all with a cloud. And the voice speaks. And this is God's word on the whole matter. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And so that's the conclusion of the Almighty God to the whole of the matter. Listen to him. This is my son. He is none other than the very Son of God. Listen to him. Take note of him and walk in the way he tells you. And what a word that is for us. 
as we prepare to the Lord's table. Listen to him. And how are we to listen to him? We're to open the word. We have the great privilege, the great privilege of having the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, our Bibles in our hands, in our language. Are you listening to him? Carefully. Do you pray that you read the word, you would understand it, and the bits that you find difficult, you pray that God would reveal them to your minds. Do you turn them over in your minds and dig out the truth that is there? Listen to him. Listen to him not only as we come to worship, and that is one of the great benefits of the Lord's Supper. It is the very living word of God that we hear as well as the outward symbol of Christ in the elements. But we should be listening for his voice, for it is through his word that he ministers to souls. So listen to him, and over these days, listen to what he has to say. And put it into action. You're thinking on Sabbath morning. James says, don't just be hearers, but do what it says. Take it on board. Apply it to your lives. Here then is the Mount of Transfiguration. At the very center is the conversation concerning the departure of Jesus. The death he would die for sinners. The prelude was his prayers, his crying out to God the Father, during which he was transfigured. Participating the two great stalwarts of the Old Testament, Elijah the prophets, Moses the law. And they were speaking about what they had hoped for and what Christ had come to do. And in conclusion, the mighty God speaks. Listen to him. Amen.